The following is Adam Polanski's talk, Ideas and Innovations, Simple Premise, Small Starts from the 2011 Information Architecture Summit. The 2011 IA Summit podcasts are brought to you by UIE's User Experience Training Library with scores of online seminars your team can access on demand. Hear the field's top experts on timely topics and the current design challenges you're facing. Get a free UIE virtual seminar at uie.com slash IAS11. Hey, good morning, everybody. I was looking at the program on my phone earlier, and I'm going, oh, I don't know what I'm going to go look at. There's a few things. And I wandered through the in front of the registration desk, and I saw that there was like a cross out on there. And I saw that Adam Polanski was speaking instead of somebody else. And I went, oh, my God, now I know what I'm going to do. Adam and I have known each other since, what, 2003? Where we met in like a design slam thing that was just like one of the funnest things I've ever done and working with him was amazing. So whenever I see him on the program, it's an easy decision to come listen to him talk. Just let me tell you, Adam is Director of IA and Usability at Travelocity as well. But, and you know, titles don't matter, but he's awesome. He's a great speaker and he knows his stuff. Okay, so anybody who was expecting Mark Plant, he's the one who dropped. I've already had one person look at me and say, oh, this isn't wireframes are dead. And I said no, and he just sort of wouldn't make eye contact as he just walked out the door. So anybody else who needs that opportunity, I'm not him, but I hope this is at least as entertaining. So as I said before, I'm the UX Director for Information Architecture and Usability at Travelocity. Got a pretty good sized team there, and for a while I had some people reporting to me down in Buenos Aires. And the reason I bring that up is that was kind of the genesis of this particular conversation. I was getting ready to go down there. I had a couple of direct reports, and I was talking to one of the managers. They said, well, you're down here. We'd love to get everybody, and we'd like you to you know, address the troops, so to speak. And I said, well, what should I talk about? And he said, well, some of the guys are pretty frustrated because they got ideas, and nobody seems to want to listen to them, and they don't seem to go anywhere. And I thought, wow, that sucks. So I actually got with some of the guys, and I talked to them. And what I discovered is that while they did have ideas, it stopped there. They just threw them out there and then they got all pissed off and incensed that you know, people didn't fall all over themselves to make these things happen. So got to thinking about that and I went down and gave sort of the grandfather of this presentation. And the other thing that came up is that whenever you hear the word innovation, there are a whole bunch of things that come about. And in a business environment, some things that began to sort of get up my nose were the ways that people talked about innovation, like some finite noun. Innovation, yeah, we got to get us some of that. You know, or, you know, okay, we're going to innovate now for the next two hours. Please leave your innovations at the door as you go. Doesn't really work that way. And the reason this kept bothering me is that I have a definition for innovation that I got in business school. So this isn't even my own. But I've not seen or heard anything of it in the wild since I graduated college. So we've been doing a lot of interviewing lately, and we are hiring, by the way. We were doing a lot of interviewing, not just for my team, but we've got a lot of product managers, and I'm involved in the hiring of those managers and directors. Because I'm an evil bastard, to finish off each interview, I would ask them the question, how do you define innovation? And in the course of about 35 interviews, I only ever talked to one person who had an idea about innovation that even came close to this definition, as I understand it. One, what I would get is a lot of fluffy blue sky, Marcom, buzzword, horse shit. I mean, it was all over the place. It's not like there was a general idea out there that was different from the one I had. They were all different. They weren't even close to each other. So 
since when I'm doing presentations and trying to come up with the ideas for what I want to present about, I usually start with something that pisses me off. And that's advice I give to anybody who wants to be a speaker. Start with something that pisses you off because you've got built-in passion, which you've got to have about your topic, otherwise nobody else will. So we'll start with that academic definition. Innovation equals new combinations. That's kind of simple. Particularly when you look at the way that people describe innovation. The thing I'd point out most is that that's a neutral statement. It's simply new combinations. It doesn't mean that the things that have been combined are good or bad or earth-shaking or you know, paradigm-shifting or anything. That's all innovation is at its core. So while good ideas can't come from anywhere, they're not necessarily all good ideas. I thought that had gone forward, but it didn't. So a lot of people use hand cream, right? And everybody loves pizza, <laughs> right? Pizza scented hand cream. It's a winner, right? By this definition, that is an innovation. We're not saying that it's good. We're not saying that it's bad. It is simply a new combination. Think of anything you ever saw that you thought of that you would hang the tag innovative on. And what's one of the first things you do? That's so simple. Why didn't I think of that? And the reason for it is you're usually seeing a combination of known elements. Some guy was walking around outside one day thinking, you know, I really love listening to the radio. Wouldn't it be great if I had one in the car? Innovation. So new combinations aren't necessarily always good combinations. And so when I'm talking to these guys down in Buenos Aires, that's where I realized the conversation for them stopped. They simply came up with an idea. Okay? So what is a good combination? So think, too, about how those combinations occur. We're not talking about having the whole business plan laid out, but you're wandering around in your life, a couple things bang together in your brain. You have the presence of mind to take a little mental snapshot of it, hang on to it, get it out later, begin to think about the implications of it. Roald Dahl, the author of lots of children's books, James and the Giant Peach, etc., used to carry a journal, and he would write just a snippet into this journal, and these would then become Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. There are actually photographs of that in a couple of books that are out there. But, well, a couple things bang together. Having made that snapshot, that's just the start. So a good combination is a mix of value and effort. So the value usually is probably the one that we can deceive ourselves with the most. Okay? Pizza's in a hand cream. Of course it's valuable. Right? But when you have to think about, when you start to try to put legs under it, to try to bring the laws of physics into the conversation, the amount of effort it takes to bring that idea off, you know, has a direct effect on that value. You know, I suppose there are somebody out there, a statistician or a mathematician, who can put this into an equation. I'm not going to do that. So value has a lot of different meanings in different contexts. So for a business owner, you know, if you're working in a world where somebody else has the money, value usually is going to boil down to that which makes or saves money because that's how a company continues and survives. Users, something that is desirable, something that makes my life better, something that I need, hopefully, something I don't have to think too much about, is easy to acquire, easy to find. Technology, 
Is it easy to build? Is it hard to build? Does it take advantage of technologies I already know? Is it outside my purview? Do I even have the time to think about it? Effort usually can be described as two things, time and money. If you are a contractor, you're keenly aware of the money involved with the hours that you're working, because your clients are too, and time as well, particularly in markets that move pretty quickly. You hear about time to market. When you're trying to gauge effort for something, it's almost always going to translate into one of those two quantitative things. And so, four square diagram. And like I said, I'm not gonna to put too fine a point on this, but when you're thinking about the value of something, you may start it up here. Well, of course, everybody's gonna want this. It's gonna sit up here on the high end. But then as you start to think about the effort, you're gonna to begin to migrate a little bit and you're also gonna migrate down a little bit. But the long and the short of it is, is whichever side of this axis you wind up on is at least a rough indicator of whether or not this idea is something that maybe needs to get some feet under it. So for a hypothetical situation, let's just assume that we've got an idea that's a good one. Okay? So where do you go with it? What do you do? So we had a bunch of guys, had a bunch of ideas. Why don't they love this stuff? This is golden. Okay, so we just talked about a very minimal amount of due diligence you can begin to do to think about and frame your idea. Not just that it's great and everybody will want it, but here's what it takes to do it. So there are channels out there. And it really does rely on you. If you're working in a big company and you're just talking about some little things within the maybe applications that you're working on, or something else that's already in existence, you might have a tool we do at Travelocity. We use Bugzilla, which a lot of people use, only we've totally bastardized its use because it's become, and we're getting rid of it by the way, it's become a place for discussion threads. It's become a place where people try to sneak projects through the cycle by breaking it up into a hundred bugs. <laughs> yeah, you mail a Jeep home one piece at a time and put the whole thing in this way, and they think it'll all get assembled correctly on the other side. And it is actually sometimes used for bugs in the system. But some of these tools exist out there. You may have some homegrown things out there for generating and moving ideas along within a company. Hack days, design contests. So we do some pretty well-organized big hack days that go on for, you know, everybody goes on a coffee bender for, you know, 48 hours and then they bleary-eyed, they get up and they show their stuff and with the prize being that, you know, the best ideas are going to get funded. But we also do design contests just within our design team and our creative director will host these. Sometimes she does these things, there's just a total goof. So she'll have a blank billboard and she gave us a situation one time, she said, okay, so everybody knows what's going on with Toyota and the brake systems. If you are another dealership, how are you gonna capitalize on that? And then everybody would take the blank billboard image and they would do their billboard and turn them in. And it wasn't limited to designers either. So I went and did one too, and it just had a picture of a Hummer and the Hummer logo said, no brakes, no problem, for you anyway. <laughs> but some great stuff comes out of that. She's done football helmets, said, what if the Olympics came to Dallas? What would the logo look like? But if you've got real business problems, you can put those out there too. Networking. Who's got the keys? Some people work for ourselves. And even then, you don't have the liberty to really pursue this stuff because you've got a company you're trying to breathe life into. Or you're working in a larger environment like I am, where the priorities 
if you're lucky, stay consistent and sometimes don't get to include these things. But also talking with other people in the company, not necessarily the bosses, but talking to the people who are working on different things that might be favorably impacted by your idea. So little story, something that I did with my team. Little project I called CE fixation. CE being the equivalent of customer experience, user experience, that sort of thing. That's just what we called it. And the subtitle for it was Harnessing the Power of Neurotic Obsession. So when you work in a big company and you've got a lot of products out there and a lot of development work happening and a bunch of people touching it, and at the time the mandate and the ownership wasn't coming from the user experience team, you get a bunch of trash on the site. And my argument was that while no one thing was really killing us, the cumulative effect of a bunch of little things had to be hurting, just from a logic standpoint. So for the accountants out there, I couldn't give them decimal points. I couldn't say we're losing X amount of money because of this. But you know, I went essentially and said, can you accept this premise? Direct cause and effect, particularly on the qualitative side of things, is pretty hard to identify, particularly when you've got big products out there. And in our case, we didn't really have a great analytics environment. And so oftentimes we wouldn't know something was wrong until we started to see numbers drop drastically in some area, which meant that whatever was wrong had been wrong for a long time. And the other thing is CE fixes take a back seat to these enhancements that can be more easily tracked. When you are working for accountants, they want to see cause A affect B. It will make X amount of money or X amount of productivity. So it was easier for them to grasp, and so the value in their minds was a whole lot easier to see there than it was in the qualitative aspect that, you know, if you let the user experience guys work on the UI, it'll be better and we'll make more money. A little harder thing to grasp. So what we did is I took all the guys on my team, because all of them were touching every aspect of our site, of our products, and then products that we had put together for partners as well. And I said, I want you to go out, go into the stuff that you're looking at, go out into production, look at all the stuff that's out there. I want you to make a list of all the things that piss you off, all the little annoyances, the things that in usability testing may have even shown up, but they showed up down in the threes and the fours in terms of severity rating versus the ones and the twos. And so because they weren't killing anything in an isolated sense, nobody seemed to think it was that big a deal if we just didn't worry about that stuff. So going back to what I said before about the accumulative effect, of a lot of little things. So we came back with the list, and it was pretty lengthy. And I said, okay, now we gotta call the list. So I came up with a very simple criteria. The first one, these have to be small, and when we say bug level fixes, I mean not a big project, okay? The other is that the majority of burden had to be on us in terms of how to fix it. If we just went out and found work for other people, what's the likelihood that any of those things are gonna get taken care of? Unless in the course of our hunting around, we did find things that were really critical bugs. Well, then those got escalated anyway. Some of the things we found really were projects. And so we got with the business owners who owned them, essentially provided them with a brief of what we were describing, and then it was still up to them to get the thing prioritized. So it's not like this stuff just got shelved away if it didn't fit our criteria. So no big development efforts. And then clear solutions. You can't just say, this sucks, I don't like this. You had to have a solution. This isn't working, this is why, this is what we can do about it to fix it and make it better. The solution could still be heuristic. It could be because I think so. Or because there's a precedent out there where a lot of other people are doing this differently and it's working for them. 
for good or bad, we're in a market where our chief competitor, everybody knows, tests their ass off. Okay, they may not be blowing the doors off in terms of wonderful experience, but at least from a functional standpoint and getting to the point of what it is they're in the business of doing, they do an excellent job at that. And so, yeah, it's fairly easy for us to poach a little bit. And they do it to us too. I still can't prove it. One day, somebody's going to do something really stupid on purpose on their site just to see if somebody else does it. <laughs> but this is how we culled the list down. It came down to about 25, 26 items. And so then I had to go pitch it. So going back to the thing that I said before, you know, we've got all these little things out there that by themselves, no one thing is going to drive the site to its knees. Okay? But cumulatively, you've got to believe if only from a logic standpoint, that this is hurting us as a business. Their first response back to me was, okay, well, this sounds really good, but you know, what do we got to give up in terms of resource? We're already tight as it is. You're telling me now you don't have the people to work on the projects that have been funded. Where does this come in? And my response, they said, you know, will current projects suffer? And I said, no. And the reason is, and we all agreed to this in advance, we'll do this simply because you'll let us. We will do this in the periphery. So, in an effort to sort of market this thing internally, we did a poster of the list. We you know, took the little logo, we sort of branded that internally, sent out email blasts inside the company. Said, hey, here's this thing we're gonna do. It's kind of an experiment. We didn't know how long it was gonna take since we're doing it on our own time. Everybody has full-time job, thank you very much. And most of us had lives outside of work. So we didn't know how long it was gonna take. And because we weren't costing the company anything in terms of time or resource, at least not that they were qualifying, it wasn't time boxed. They couldn't do that to us since we were volunteering this. So it took about nine to 10 months for us to realize a level of completion on this, and I'll talk a little more about that in a minute. So here's what happened. It wasn't what we thought. What we thought was gonna happen is we'll get all these little things fixed. If it doesn't make a big difference to anybody that's noticeable right away, we'll feel better because we've just you know, taken some stones out of our own shoes at the very least, and then we'll go back and we'll do another round of it. In fact, later on, we were doing another round that was geared solely on stuff to help our call centers because they were kind of afterthoughts in terms of the UIs that they use because we would sort of take what we were giving our public customers and give them the same thing with a few other little you know, prompts in it. But I digress. So what really happened is after this period of time, Rather than all these things just going in and being explicitly fixed, you know, with the poster, every time one was fixed, we were going to cross it off and stamp it with the fixes in, send an email, give the props to the person who came up with the idea, got the thing out there, so as, you know, kind of promote our team to the rest of the company as well. But it didn't work that way. What happened was they began to look back at the site as a whole, and they set up some bigger efforts. And what happened is the very first thing they did is they rolled all of our stuff into that. So these things got fixed but not the way we saw it, just you know, letting us work out there in the periphery and do it as much for ourselves as anybody else. But we landed a level of visibility to this that got all of these things rolled up into the major efforts. And so these things have been dealt with and are being dealt with now. Beyond that, and I won't say this was the reason, but they set up a group within the company they called Site Optimization, whose job was to squash this insane level of backlog of bugs that we had out there. But I mentioned we were doing a new list for the call centers the very first thing they did is they came to me and we said, we want that list to start. We now have a department whose entire job is literally the optimization of the site and they are now mining the user experience team 
for the information and the pointers to go and look for things to fix. That may sound like, well, why the fuck wouldn't they? They weren't at the time because all of our business owners were the ones that had the approval on everything. They were the ones, they had ROI responsibility for their products, which meant they were the last word on what got done or not done. So just to recap, the first thing is capture the idea. Just have the presence of mind to do that. Okay, a couple things bang together in your brain, just like the creative process. It's just like fishing. You can have the right boat, get the right equipment, know what the fish are doing, know where they are, drop your line in the water, know what the best season is to do it all. It doesn't guarantee you're gonna get one on the hook, but you really do hedge your bets. Okay, so there are things you can do to set yourself up, but you can't demand innovation. It's gonna happen now. Assess the value, and by assessing the value, you have to assess the effort and how you think that would affect the value. Choose the right channel. Who is the person who's going to help you be able to do this? Who is going to give you air cover? Who's your champion? And if you don't have one, what clandestine methods or things do you have at your disposal to allow you to do this? It's amazing how often, like the example I gave, you can get attention to something that's important to you simply by moving forward with it. And the last, and this is the most important thing, I think, is stick with it. Great ideas don't always emerge at the right time. It doesn't mean it's not a great idea. It just means that at the moment, the stars aren't necessarily aligned right, or maybe there are forces against you. Those things change. Keep these things. If you really are committed to the value and the effort, and you've been able to convince other people to be committed to the value and the effort, you will eventually get a chance to roll. It might not even be the same company, but you'll get a chance to roll it back out. Not to tell a long story, but I just dusted off a rubric that I created five years ago that didn't go anywhere. We have a whole lot of things that have changed within our company. We've even brought in some other members of our community to help us with some stuff. They started talking about what they wanted to do, and I went, dude, I had to go dig back into two old hard drives that were sitting in mothballs to find this thing. And came in the next day, dressed it, cleaned it up a little bit. I said, is this what you're talking about? He was like, my God, that's a leg up. You just moved us ahead. And it was an idea that I had five years ago. So stick with it. Look for your opportunity. It may not happen today, but if you're truly sold on the need for what you've got, if it really is a solution to a problem instead of a problem looking for a solution, the opportunity will come up. So that's all I have. Thank you. So that was a fairly short presentation. So we got about, what, 15 minutes, I think? Any questions, thoughts, concerns, bullshit, Dan? Innovation is such a big word, and it's so squishy, and it skews towards bombast. It's mm. this big thing. You demystified it by saying, hey, look, here's the pieces of it. Here's how it works. But you kept the word. Mm. And I wonder in a corporate environment if it's almost like a balloon that you pull some of the air out, and you walk into a room, and it inflated again. Ah, I let more air out, and I walk into another, you know, yeah. when you're working with other managers, and suddenly this balloon is this big, meaningless, bombastic right. thing again. And that's exactly right. So it's not like when we were doing the CE fixation thing, I went in, the word innovation never even came into it. It simply was an idea that I'd qualified, and by knowing who I was talking to, knew where their pain points were, 
knew that, truthfully, all they really needed to hear from me is how I make pain go away. And so that's a really good point. In practice, you probably won't use the word because it has this automatic tendency to turn into the thing that it's not, but it's the thing everybody believes it is. So innovation, as I said, the innovative process is very much like the creative process. So when you're talking about a creative idea, you're talking about ideas, you're simply talking about getting ideas and qualifying them, figuring out the efficacy. So I guess to answer the question, I would say, yeah, you might even, depending on where you are and who you're talking to, unless they rely on you to help frame dialogue and frame vocabulary, maybe you have a chance to educate some people. But if it doesn't look like that, then you can save yourself some trouble by just staying out of that semantic argument. Any other questions? Hey, Adam. I'm wondering if you could talk about, I really liked the concept you had about the site optimization and how that materialized in mm -hmm. your company. And I have totally encountered the same thing at AOL. And one of the things I've found is that innovation tends to be, like, everyone wants to work on the innovation part. No one wants to work on the optimization part. Mm -hmm. And I have the secret love of the optimization because it's very measurable and you can actually mm -hmm. do a lot of stuff with it. Did you have to do any selling to the team or this department that was created to sort of get people, did they begrudgingly go into that? Or did yeah. you, was there any sort of selling you had to do to sort of make them excited about doing that? Well, there's sort of two groups involved. So the site optimization team, you know, are all guys that I'd already been working with for a long time. And they were already feeling the pain I was. Regular dialogue with them, they were right in there with me. So it didn't have to sell it to them at all. It made perfect sense. But like to the guys who were saying, well, I have an idea, nobody ever does anything with it. You know, I knew when I came in with this kind of thinking that I was going to sound like a troll. But as I was growing up, my father was in marketing and sales, some very high visibility, very high level stuff, and he always used to tell me an idea man is a dime a dozen. But it's the guys who can bring these things to life who are at a premium, and I think that's the reward you get for being willing to do that. And so if you have ideas and you don't want to put the work into it and you're going to be pissed off because nobody jumps on it, well, then pissed off is what you get. Sucks to be you. If you're willing to put the work in, then that's how you're rewarded, is willing to put the work in. Like I said, it won't always happen right when you want it to either. So a lot of it has to do with how much you really believe and how you've been able to qualify the idea itself, if it really is something material. And this may sound blue sky, but I really do think <coughs> good ideas will find their time, even if they don't right away. But you've got to stay behind it. Yes? Yeah, hi. So sometimes there's a benefit in letting people think that it's their idea in the first place. Mm -hmm. So have you done that? And if so, could you provide one or two examples? Absolutely. You know, when you're trying to figure out who it is you're going to go talk to, sometimes my decision is going to be based on knowing what this person's already been talking about. You know, I talk about getting rid of pain. Maybe they also have a crusade. Maybe they have something else. You know, it could be an irrational attachment to something. And so it's less of a forward pitch like this, and it's just conversations over lunch or conversations in the hallway saying, you know, I remember when you were talking about this thing, you got me thinking about something else. You know, you did that. You know, if you want to talk more about it, maybe we can go do that. If I could help you put some more information to this, would you propose it? So it stays their idea, absolutely. That's a skill and an art in and of itself. And one of the things it requires is something I'm not long on is being willing to be self-deprecating and pass off the glory. <laughs> Any other questions? Yes. 
I really like the sketching through your presentation. I'm assuming you are the artist of all the little drawings on it. And I wonder how sketching plays a role in the idea of helping to solidify the ideas to help innovate. And mm -hmm. if you encourage your team to use sketching as a tool to kind of articulate their ideas that may be too complicated for your business stakeholders mm -hmm. to process or, I don't know, I just mm -hmm. really liked your drawings. Thank so you. And the answer, is I, the answer is I absolutely do. Back before computers were even part of our environment, I was a commercial illustrator, which even saying that now makes me cringe a little bit with some of the folks in the room who I know sketch unbelievably. But I dusted off that skill basically to do this presentation. I had a lot of fun doing it. But in terms of sketching, you know, last year, that was a pretty big meme at the IA Summit. It was a big meme at South by Southwest. And I was looking across my team who are all very, very smart and very, very talented and very, very adept with a lot of the tools that are out there. But I was getting a lot of backlash from business owners because the perception was that if they're working in these tools, that must take a long time and we don't have that time to wait. So I went to the office supply, I bought folios and I put grid pads, post-it notes, a Sharpie, a mechanical pencil and a ruler. And in my staff meeting, I handed them out to everybody and I said, this is your first tool. This is your first discussion tool. And to take one of the, one of the few nuggets I got from Richard Saul Werman's speech last year that he said quite a bit is information architect's job, which is the flag we wave, so don't get hung on the title, our job is great understanding. So if you could do that with a sketch, if you could do it you know, just talking about it, if you could do it on the whiteboard and, and the people who need to run with what you're talked about have everything they need to go, then you've done the job. You've just done your wireframe. Okay, you didn't have to use Actor, you didn't have to use Visio or Balsamic or any other great stuff out there. But you may also find in that course of conversation that they're still not getting it, which is your cue to start moving on up to maybe the more sophisticated tools. Yeah, does sketching play a role? Absolutely. And in some cases, when depending on who you're dealing with, that may be all you need to do. Any other questions? Going once, going twice, well... Thanks again for coming. Thanks for listening to this podcast from the 2011 IA Summit. For more great user experience design content, visit UIE.com and sign up for our free newsletter, UIE Tips.